So good. Can you say thank you to the worship team tonight? Just a little shout out too to Hannah Godwin, Pastor David's wife. She's also the director of our preschool and before and after school program. Today is her birthday. She is doing, yeah, come on. So same, if you know her, if you're part of her social media, then I hope you blow up her page with a lot of birthday love. She's doing a phenomenal job here with the preschool. Our preschool finally reached a waiting list. Come on, so good, so good. So you know we were gone last week, we were out of town, a little getaway, and heard Jamal was up here singing a little bit. Word on the street, word on the street. All right. Heard some guy named Satai Higgs got a full ride to UVA, just saying. Just saying. I don't know if he's in here. Satai, there he is, I see, yeah, yeah, come on. Cavaliers, Cavaliers. Well, this is our final week in Doxa. I have so enjoyed this series. I hope you have as well. Just taking a look at these seven core Christian beliefs and asking the question, how how are these beliefs instructing the way that we live? We We don't want to be a church that's pursuing religious intellectualism. We, don't, we, we, we want to go beyond moralism. There is a, a life journey that should come from being a devoted follower of Christ. God is one. The Bible is true. The cross is enough. Mankind is helpless. Jesus is life. Eternity is real. And the church is central. Each week we've looked at one of these. If you want to understand any one of these, you need to learn about all of these. If you want to understand one of these, you've got to learn about all of these because they create a context for one another. They build on one another. In fact, I would argue that you will never fully understand each one until you understand the other ones because they create a lens of clarity that you see through as they hold each other in a healthy tension. As we've Given it to you this week, I'm giving it to you again. The name of the series, Doxa, means glory. It's a Greek word that translates in your Bible glory, splendor, grandeur, power, kingdom, praise, and honor. Sometimes it's used to reference the revealed presence of God. Sometimes it's used to reference God himself. The root word for doxa means to think or suppose or believe or consider or imagine. So you can see it's the perfect word to connect to this idea of understanding these seven foundational truths. Unlocking glorious living isn't about you having a better life or an easier life. It's about your life becoming a life that points other people to the glory of God. And the goal of this series has been to walk you through each of these so that at the end, you will have a conversation with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will help you create a life statement that's connected to that truth. So our goal is that through this series, you'll have seven life statements. Statement. So each week we're asking the question, fill in the blank, how does my belief that Jesus is life inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me? You need to ask yourself that question seven times with each of these seven truths. I'm not going to reteach them. I'm just going to give you the six. I'll give you my seventh one tonight. But I've been trying to share mine with you to help you understand this idea of what we're talking about. 
My first one was this, I want to live for God more fully just as they, speaking of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, live for one another. God is one. The next one is I want my life to be an echo of the wisdom of Scripture to the world around me. The Bible is true. I want to feel dependent even when I am able, right? This is a problem for me. Sometimes prayer doesn't become a part of my life until I feel like I'm facing something beyond what I'm capable of, where prayer should be a part of my conversation even when I feel like I've got it in hand. I want to feel dependent even when I am able. Mankind is helpless. I want to cherish Jesus' bride like he does the church is central. That was our Easter message. Right, We've got to stop calling Jesus' wife ugly. I want to look expectantly every day for opportunities to point people to Jesus. Eternity is real. And I want my life to be at risk. This was, this was Pastor Justin last week. If you've not heard that right, an amazing message. I want my life to be at rest in both the grace and sovereignty of God. I love how he took on that message last week. This idea that grace is not supposed to be permission to now go and do whatever we want to do because we know that we're forgiven. If you're truly at rest in the grace of God, you rest in the forgiveness that you've received. You also rest in the revelation that I do not have to continue my life of rebellion. You will never be at rest in the grace of God as long as you continue to use it as permission to sin because there will be a restlessness of your soul. Such a good message. Pastor Justin. This is our final week. How does my belief that Jesus' life inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me? Jesus is life. John 10.10. Vanessa already shared it when she came up earlier for the welcome. But this idea of, of a promise that he gives that's just unbelievable. He starts by saying the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now he does that by way of contrast to let us know there's really only two options in this life. You're either experiencing the abundant life that he promises, and if you're not experiencing that, then you've got someone picking your pocket. My purpose, he says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Another translation renders it a life lived to the fullest possible measure. We've come to know it as abundant life, as another translation renders it. Jesus has come to give us abundant life. Jesus is life. Now, it's important here as a church we've been teaching ever since Vanessa and I came here in 2007, we've been talking about this idea of abundant life because so many Christians only think of eternal life on the time continuum. Now, eternal life is measured on the time continuum, right? We, we talked about this in Eternity is Real. The part of you that makes you you, your immaterial self, is going to exist forever, either in heaven or hell, but you're going to exist forever. That's eternal life on the time continuum. But Jesus also comes to say, don't, don't just measure it there, measure it on the depth continuum. Because eternal life isn't just forever, it's supposed to be fulfilling. Forever and fulfilling. He's saying eternal life is without end and should be without measure when it comes to the fulfillment that you experience and sense and feel. Then we jump down to 16. This is important. 
He says, I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold, and I must bring them also. Now, this is an important verse because this is where Jesus is laying the groundwork that, that he has called, right, not just the Jewish nation. We, if it's a bigger message, a bigger series for another time, but the Jewish people thought their Messiah was only going to be for them. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm going to be the Messiah for the whole world. But listen to what he says. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Now, so oftentimes, the most prominent part that the verse gives to us, which is diversity here, the most prominent part of verses can overshadow the rest of what Jesus is saying. Now, we believe in diversity. That's a central part of who we are as a church. But right here in this verse is something else that's important. They will listen to my voice. He's helping us to understand that you cannot separate life from listening when it comes to Jesus. That he's saying to you and to me, if we want to have the abundant life that he promises, then we've got to live a listening life to him. That's why so often Jesus said, he that hath an ear, let him hear. He's saying, you've got to be willing to listen to me because I've got some things that I want to say to you to direct you, to redirect you, to challenge you, to encourage you. I've got things that I want to say to you. And it is in that listening that we follow him as the good shepherd into the abundant life that he has for us. John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning, the word, the word here, speaking of Jesus, in the beginning, the word already existed. This is about the preexistence of Christ. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created. Listen to that. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot ever extinguish it. See, Jesus is not just content with being life, he wants to be a life giver. He's, he's not just content with being life, he wants to be a life giver. He wants you to experience the life that he knows, one that is both forever and full. And he says to you and I in John 10, 16, that we will never get there unless we are a listener. You cannot separate life and listening with Jesus. Has everybody got a cup? A little cup? If you didn't get a cup, make sure you get a cup because I'm going to ask you to keep this week, this cup this week. I don't want to find these in the parking lot. We do have security cameras. We will come knock on your door. You're going to want that cup because I'm going to ask you to do something with that this week. When I was growing up, my mom had a plastic dispenser that was mounted to the side of these, the, the knotty pine cabinets that are in our kitchen. My, my mom still lives in the house. My dad passed away in, in, in 2014. My mom still lives in this house that I grew up in. And, and there's this plastic dispenser that's next to the cup cabinet, right where all the glassware and plastic cups next to the refrigerator. And you, you just pop a cup out. You want to get a drink of water or you don't have to dirty up a glass. I grew up with that, just popping a cup down. And I was thinking this week, what if later tonight you're at home doing whatever you do after church, 
Maybe everybody's gone to bed and you're reading your favorite book in your favorite chair. Maybe you're watching a movie. Maybe you're taking a walk. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears before your very eyes. The real Jesus. Not your kid trying on a costume for wear your favorite historical figure to your Zoom call on Monday, but like real Jesus. Like Thomas, no doubt, moment, where you see the nail scars in his hand, where he asks you to touch where the spear pierced him in his side. I'm talking about Jesus himself in all of his glory stands in front of you tonight. And he says to you, I have a mission for you. Right, something, you're, you're like the young prophet in 2 Kings. You're like, oh, he chose me for something. And then there's a dramatic pause and he looks at you and he says, I want you to devote the rest of your life to emptying the ocean. And he says to you, and here I give you this cup to do it. Yeah. You'd be like, Honey, I think Jesus is here for you. He's got a mission for you. That's when you start having a conversation with yourself. You're thinking to yourself, I don't want this mission. You're thinking to yourself, that's impossible. But you're nodding and smiling because it's Jesus. And you know that he could take you with him if he wanted to. Because something inside of you, you're like, the task that he's given me and the resource that he has provided, they don't match up. I would say, welcome to Christianity. Welcome to Christianity. See, because at some point, you've got to decide something. When he gives you a mission, when he asks you to do something for him, are you in it for the accolades? Are, are you in it for the success? Are, are you in it for the sense of accomplishment? Because I know that I have, and that ends to a very disappointing place. This is what I would say to you. You gotta be in it for the faithfulness. You gotta be in it for the faithfulness. Because if your job is to empty the ocean and he gives you a Dixie cup, right, you're down at the beach, down at Virginia Beach, scooping, Somebody comes up, what are you doing? I'm emptying the ocean. They're like, okay, all right. Is that a flask in your pocket? It's got oil in it, don't worry about it. It's got oil in it. It's got oil in it. You're gonna get to the end of your life and there's gonna be just as much water in that ocean as it was when you started. But when you get to heaven, Jesus is not gonna ask you how empty the ocean is. He's gonna ask you how full your cup was. He's gonna ask you how full your cup was. He doesn't, he's not in it for the success for you. He's, he's in it for you for the obedience. He wants you to discover there is a fulfillment that you find in this life from saying yes to him, even if it means that you might feel like a failure in the end because the reward is not in the accomplishment. The reward is in the obedience. I kept my, I want to get to Jesus and be able to say, I got a full cup. I got a full cup. I got a full cup. Life and listening 
with Jesus. You can't separate them. You can't, you can't pull them apart. Do outcomes matter? You better believe they do. I'm not saying that abandon all sense of outcome or fruit because we know that's a, an important part of the message of the Bible as well. Matthew eleven nineteen, especially the second part, but let me read the first part because it gives us the context. It says, the son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard or a friend of tax collectors or other sinners. And Jesus says, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. I have that written on a little piece of paper right under my monitor. I read it multiple times a day. Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Outcomes do matter to God. Right? This, is, this is Jesus saying to us, if you're going to reach people with the gospel, you've got to be around people who need the gospel. Right? Don't, don't, don't judge me as being a sinner because I'm around sinners. Jesus is saying here, just because you're around sinners, right, doesn't mean you're going to become a sinner. The idea is that you want those sinners to become a sinner like you, which is a forgiven sinner. Somebody who's devoted in following Jesus. Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Don't judge too quickly. That's what Jesus, results matter. Results matter. But results can't just be the only thing that you're in it for. Because if you are, you will say no to the most important things that he calls you to. If you're in it just for results and outcome, you will give up on the most important things that God calls you to. You will shrink back from the task that is probably the most significant thing that he's ever going to ask you to do because you're focused on how full the ocean is instead of how full your cup is. You can't just focus on outcomes because sometimes outcomes take time. Sometimes outcomes take lifetimes. Sometimes outcomes are generational. Some of the most incredible things that we read about in the Bible was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation before the outcome can be celebrated. We love the story of the Exodus. We forget there, was, there were hundreds of years where Israel was in bondage in Egypt before the Exodus could come. The Passover is the most pronounced prophetic symbol pointing to Jesus in all of the Old Testament. And it took hundreds of years of suffering to get there. We want to be in the Exodus generation, but we don't want to be in this generation. You can't just be in it for the outcome, people, because sometimes outcomes are generational. Sometimes you're called to blaze the trail for others to walk down. You might have seen some of our pictures when Vanessa and I got a little getaway for her birthday this past weekend, and we went to see Derek. He's a, our oldest. He's finishing up his junior year at, at Virginia Tech, Satai, Virginia Tech. <laughs> we decided we were going to do something we don't normally do. We were like, let's just let's break it up a little bit. We're going to go on a hike. Now, if you know us, the idea of camping for us is that there's not a Starbucks in the hotel lobby, right? That's our idea of camping. So we were talking to Derek, give us some trails. And he would pull one up and he'd look at, I kid you not, he'd look at the phone, look at us. He said, no, you can't do that one. <laughs> look at another one, look at another one. No, let's go to the next one. And then finally he came up with this, this, this trail called the Cascades, which is, uh, somebody's been there? <laughs> or there's a mosquito in here. One of the two. One of the two. We got a single, single clap on that. 
It's, it's two miles in, two miles out. There's a 70-foot waterfall at the end that's the prize, and it's 800 feet of elevation stretched out over that two miles. There's a lower trail and an upper trail. The, the lower trail is the trail of adventure, right? There's, there's rocks and roots, and you're kind of walking through the woods next to the stream, but you don't get to look up very often because you're, right, you're trying not to break your ankle. And I mean, it's like, it's like real deal in the woods along the way, a couple bridges back and forth over sometimes. And, and, uh, and so we, we get to the end where, and, and the, the waterfall is deafening, it's so loud. It is, it is quite remarkable. But as we turned the corner and saw it, before I could be in awe of the waterfall, I saw this woman coming towards me who clearly has already gotten there, who's got to be in her 60s. She's got two walking sticks, and she looks like she needs two hip replacements. Walking like this. And just before we saw her, I told Vanessa, look what we just did. Right? We are incredible. It's like we just made the Olympic trials. And then I see this woman who's already there. I, I said to Vanessa, somebody flew her in with a helicopter. Somebody, somebody, she did not do what we just did. There's no way. I mean, I know I'm out of shape, but come on. How is that even possible? Now, what we did not know is the upper trail is basically a, a dirt roadway that's just a straight shot all, all, all the way there. Even that is not easy. Even that on the way down, I had to stop multiple times to catch my breath. We see a guy on the way up. He's smoking a cigarette. Have we? I'm like, I am, I've got to do something to get in better shape because this is terrible. <laughs> You've got crippled people and chronic smokers are doing this much easier than me. <laughs> but there was a time in history where there were no paths to this waterfall. There was a time in history where there was no trail to get there. At, at some point, there were people that gave themselves to the work and the labor so other people could find the glory of this place. I'm just asking you tonight, are you just in it for the outcome? Are you just in it for the results, for the accolades, for the sense of success? Are you going to give yourself to this idea of unlocking glorious living? Because if you are, it's just got to be about keeping your cup full, no matter what he calls you to. How does my belief that Jesus' life inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me? Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel. I want to read through this story with the time we have left. Because it demonstrates the consequences of listening to the wrong voices and also the realities of listening to Jesus. Right? We're telling you, right? This life of living for Jesus is not all peaches and cream. There's risk, there's chance, there's hurt, there's pain, there's suffering. It's part of the journey. It demonstrates for us the consequences of listening to the wrong voices but also the realities of listening to Jesus 1 Kings 18, 1 through 8, later on in the third year of the drought. Three years of drought. Three years of drought. The Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him I will soon send rain. So Elijah went and appeared before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become very severe. There's so, so now, right, there's a drought and a famine. 
So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devout follower of the Lord. Once, when Jezebel had tried to kill the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Where did he find food and water in a drought and a famine? That's some effort right there. Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring in the valley in the land to see if we can find enough to save our people. No, 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 that's not what it says. We must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. Mm -hmm. That's leadership right there, right? So they divided the land between them and Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way. And as you continue on, I'll skip the last couple of verses that Obadiah finds Elijah. When we stop listening to Jesus, we begin to care about things more than people. I'm going to give you some measures tonight to know whether or not you're, you're really into this thing called listening to Jesus. Whether you're in the cupful life or whether in your I want the accolades life. Because when you stop listening to Jesus, we begin to care about things more than people. Things as in power, prestige, wealth, privilege. You've got to ask yourself the question, what's more important to you? Because if you're listening to Jesus, you already know what the answer is. 16, jumping down to verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw him, he explained, so it's really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I want to be a troublemaker in the 757 for Jesus. Come on. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Verse 19, now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. That's 850 prophets if you're doing the math who were supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets, 850 of them, to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver in hobbling, hobbling between, that's an important word, hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Completely silent. Hobble, not wobble, not the dance, hobble, although they're very similar. You know, the dances where you work your way to the left and work your way to the right and you're back and forth. I can never do any of those. I try. I'm the living personification of every stereotype of white people that you will ever meet. It is true. Hobble. It is the same exact word, same exact word that the Bible uses for the Passover. This is powerful. Same, same. And it's used here, the Holy Spirit picked this word by way of contrast. Because we understand the Passover is in the final plague in the Exodus story, in the Exodus narrative, the death angel passes over all the homes of the Israelites if there was 
blood from a lamb that had been sacrificed was on the doorpost of their home, right? It's talking about the coming of Jesus, dying for the sins of the world. His judgment passes over us. Same exact word as Passover. And it's used here in a satirical way because once you pass over from life without God into life with him, once you pass over from life without Christ into life as following Christ, you're not supposed to go back to the other side. You're supposed to stay here. And so Elijah, right, inspired here by the Holy Spirit, uses this word in the Hebrew language for Passover because they understood what he was saying. You're not supposed to go back from life to death to life to death, back and forth. Quit doing that. You're supposed to cross over with God and then be all in with him for the rest of your life, no matter the cost. Quit passing back over from side to side, wavering in your faith. See, when we listen to voices instead of Jesus, we will always end up worshiping the wrong gods. We'll make a vow of devotion to him, but the next thing you know, we're worshiping this over here. Then we're back with Jesus and then back with this and back with Jesus and back with this. To be a devoted follower of Christ, you've got to be willing to hear him say to you, Fred or whatever your name is, you've got to lay that down. There is no room on the throne except for Christ. You might say, well, Fred, I've never worshipped another God. Well, that's because you're not really an Old Testament kind of person. we got all kinds of different gods today in America. we got all kinds of different gods. Success, ambition, fame, popularity, appearance, political power, privilege, the list goes on and on and on and on. Anything that displaces the centrality of Jesus and his authority in your life, you have elevated to a God, and it's called idolatry. When we listen to voices instead of Jesus, we will always end up worshiping the wrong gods. You see, there's three groups of people in this story. There is Elijah, who is presented to us as the last faithful, right? There are all the prophets and those that are worshiping the false gods. And then in the crowd, you have to assume that there are probably some, because the Bible always talks about a remnant, there's probably some faithful, but it says even they were silent. Even they were silent. See, listening to Jesus means that you've got to speak up even when it's not popular. See, even if you're not worshiping the wrong gods, if you're not speaking out against it, you're complicit in the sin for your society and your culture. 1 Kings 18, 22. It says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450, right? And we know there was another 400 there of Asherah. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish. Cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. And then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. 
I love this part. All the people agree. They went from silent to, this is going to be fantastic. Right? All the people are like, yeah! We love us a good contest, don't we? Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you, you, you go first. You pick the bull. You pick whichever altar you want. You pick the wood. You, you, pick the, you, you go first. He doesn't want there to be any excuses in the end. If there are many of you, choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God and do not set fire to the wood. I want to go down to 29. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal and Saras, but there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling, here it is again, right? Hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. A little trash talking here in the Old Testament. Or maybe he's away on a trip or asleep or needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder. Following their normal custom, they began to cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was still no sound, no reply, no response. When we are listening to Jesus alone, we will at times feel alone. When we are listening to Jesus alone, we will at times feel alone. You see, when you know that 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 Jesus has called you to something, there will be times in your life where people that have been walking with you, who you love and care about, look at you and say, I cannot walk down this road with you any longer. And you will have to hug them and embrace them and keep going. And keep going. Because you got to decide whether or not you're following his steps or their steps. And there will be times in your life where he calls you down a path where you will feel by yourself. But you cannot measure what he's saying to you based on the number of people around you. Because sometimes when you follow his voice alone, you will feel alone. You've got to decide the path that you're willing to walk down, whose feet and footsteps you're willing to follow after. There is a reason why this story is given to us that Elijah is the last one remaining. If you're always looking for other people to give you the path that you're supposed to walk down, you will never find the one that Jesus has for you. 1 Kings 18, 30 to 35. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him. This is so good. I love this story. As he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. See, because this was a place of pagan worship. And it used to be a place of godly worship. 
And the altar of the Lord had been torn down. He began to repair it. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. And then he piled wood on the altar and he cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four jars with water and pour the water over the offering. I'm not sure that's a really good idea if you're trying to light this thing on fire. But he wants people to leave there that day understanding the nature of who God is. That he is sovereign. And after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And then when they were finished, he said, do it again. Until water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Stop it. Have you ever asked yourself the question when you're reading the story, where did all that water come from? There has been a drought for three years and a famine. What in the world is going on here? What's wrong with Elijah? Everybody in their life at some point should do a missions trip to a foreign land. And at least once in your life, it should be to a third world country. Did you know there's a new category now called fourth world? Niger and, and Link, the organization that we're going to be partnering with, we're ramping it up. We're excited about what we're going to be doing. You don't know anything about them, do you, Brennan? Brennan's dad, Michael Thaler, is the founder of this, this movement that's been around for years, leading Niger innovatively, leading innovatively Niger to the kingdom. Fourth, it's a fourth world country. People suffer around this world in ways that are beyond our imagination, suffer just like this. If there has been a drought and a famine for three years, I'm telling you that in that crowd, there were people who were dying. We know that there were. There were people that were in that crowd who had children who were knocking at death's door because there had been a drought, because there had been a famine. Now you tell me what you think they felt like when they saw the man of God pour that water onto the ground. You tell me. You tell me. You tell me how many people felt like that's not right. How many people could we save if we had given them that water? And you know, you know where that water, there was water there because the king was there and all of their entourage. Don't even get me started on that. That's another sermon for another time. See, there was water there because the privileged people had resources that no one, all right, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. Let me, let me ask you this question. How much are you willing to trust this Jesus who you're listening to? Because if you're willing to trust him all the way, when we listen to Jesus, we are sometimes confused by his priorities. When we listen to Jesus, we are sometimes confused by his priorities. 
See, God's not in this for your comfort, people. He's not in it for my comfort. He's in it for our eternity. He's in it for our holiness. He's in it for the character of Christ to be formed in us. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, there will be times where we look at him and there is a feeling born out of our humanity that causes us to ask the question, I'm not sure that was the right decision. But because he is sovereign, because he is perfect, because he is holy, he always makes the right decision, even when it costs us something. Even when it's a second king's moment and we want to run for our lives. Listen to me, he's willing to sacrifice your physical safety for your spiritual well-being. He's willing to sacrifice your physical safety for your spiritual well-being. First Kings 18, 36 to 34. This is my last one. 36 to 34. At the usual time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately. <laughs> The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. It burned the wood. It burned the stones. It burned the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. God has a flair for the dramatic, doesn't he? And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. This is what he's in it for, people. Three years of famine and drought because he knew that that moment, what was going to happen in their heart was more important for their eternity than the suffering of the last three years. Your spiritual well-being is more important to him than your physical safety. Oh, here it comes. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them there. Yeah. When we listen to Jesus, he eventually commands the wrong voices in our lives to be vanquished. When we listen to Jesus, he eventually commands the wrong voices in our lives to be vanquished. Let me just give a clarifier here. This is important. I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm not talking about clinical depression. We believe in therapy. We believe in Christian counseling. We believe in medication. This is important to us as a church. When I'm talking about voices, I'm talking about influences that are competing with the authority of Christ in your life. Does that make sense? It's important that you understand that. He eventually commands the wrong voices in our lives to be vanquished. Jesus will share your attention only for a time. He's patient. He, he is patient. He's patient beyond what we deserve. 
But at some point, after we've been walking with him for a time and a season, he looks at us and says, when are you going to tell that voice to shut up? It's been 20 years, Fred. This voice has been with us long enough. How about we take them down to the valley and we kill them? Not talking about people here. Just, just, right. Talking about temptation, talking about influence, talking about your desires that don't belong in your heart. At some point, Jesus, the good shepherd, who looks like he's from Sweden, who's got the Miss America sash on, he's petting a sheep. At some point, he shows up in your life like the warrior he is, like we see in Revelation, with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth, with his eyes on fire, to where you wet yourself because you're so afraid of his presence, and we fall on our knees, and he says, stop listening to that voice and follow me alone. you you got to decide at some point who you're going to follow in this life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a troublemaker for the kingdom in the 757. 2 Corinthians 10.5. All right, I don't have that one written down. I know what it is, I'll tell you. You just have to trust me on this. 2 Corinthians 10.5, when it talks about you've got to bring into captivity every thought. It says that you've got to be willing for every thought that you have to be held captive by Christ. That's powerful, isn't it? It's him saying to us, there's no room for anyone else to be on the throne except for him. You've got to decide. I'm asking you to keep this cup this week. What you do with it after that's up to you, but I'm asking you to trust me. I want you to keep this cup every day. I want you to pick this cup up and ask yourself the question, am I looking at how full the ocean is or am I looking at how full my cup is? Because this life can't be about success and accolades. It's got to be about faithfulness. How does my belief that Jesus' life inspire me to pursue a life that reveals God's glory to the world around me. I don't know about you, but this is my seventh one. I want my life to be a listening ear to Jesus' voice first above all other influences. You might say, well, Fred, shouldn't it say just his voice alone? And I thought about that, but I wrote it this way because we never start in the place where he's our voice alone. We start here. Because if you start listening to his voice first, listen to me, if you'll start listening to his voice first, you'll learn which voices don't belong so you know which ones to get rid of. And if you make listening to Jesus' voice first the priority for the rest of your life, then you will, you will do well at only listening to him. But it's a journey. It's a journey. I've been doing it since 1990. I'm telling you, it's a journey. It's a journey. I want my life to be a listening ear to Jesus' voice first above all other influences. I know we're off the clock a little bit. We're still going to close with a worship song here. 
And then after that worship song, we're going to have people down here at the front to pray for you. The prayer time is important for us for how we're closing now as a church for the foreseeable future because we know that things get stirred up in you. We hope that things get stirred up in you. Here in the service, we believe that God's a living God. He's a living presence. He's a perfect father. He wants to talk to you. You, you might have experienced things in this service. You don't understand what, what they were about. That's okay. Just let us pray with you. At the end of the service, after the end of this worship song, I'm going to come back up and just release you those that need to go. But if you need to stay, we'll just, just stay in a posture of worship. We'll just be here for 10 minutes or so after the song. If you've never had anybody lay their hands on you and pray for you you, you, you come. Even if you don't even know why you're coming, you come and let us pray. Let us pray over your life. Father, we take these cups tonight. Stand with me. As we step into the sacredness of this moment of worship, God, I pray that it would be as though we're the only one in this room that we would just be here by ourselves, just with you. As if we wandered back in here early, early this morning, like at three or four o'clock, and there's nobody else in here. And we just find ourselves in the sacredness of the space and the quietness of the space, and we're holding this cup before you. Help us to shift Tonight, supernaturally, shift us, God, out of measuring the volume of the ocean to where we would just begin to look at whether or not our cup is full. Find us faithful to whatever you have put into our hands today. Whatever path you have for us today, whatever mission and purpose you've called us to today, whatever sense of calling that, that, that resonates with our heart coming from you today, that our cup would be full. In Christ's name, come on, let's worship together.